Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking Donate. Don't forget, I have several other podcasts out there, from John to Justin, Coast to Coast, Canada's Great War, and Pucks and Cups, available on all podcast platforms. I do all these podcasts full-time, so every dollar you give helps keep it all going, and I truly appreciate it, and I'll thank you on the air, through social media, and at the end of every episode. I'd also like to say thank you to Lynn, who left me a wonderful five-star review. Lynn said, All of Craig's podcasts are wonderful. I wish I learned this in school, but it's never too late to keep learning. That's why I love this so much. Thanks for all your hard work, Craig. Thank you, Lynn. That really actually made my day. If you like, you can email me at craig at CanadaEHX.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And I'm on Instagram and TikTok, where I put up daily videos about Canada's history. And my username is Bairdo37. You can also find me on YouTube, where I put up weekly videos about Canada's history. Just go to youtube.com slash c slash CanadianHistoryX. And if you want to find transcripts of every single episode I've ever done, that's over 700 episodes of all my podcasts, just go to CanadaEHX.com. While the Lacombe area began to be settled in the late 19th century, it was for a millennia occupied by the indigenous. There were many culture groups who lived on the land, but the most famous and most recent were the Blackfoot and the Cree. For the Blackfoot, the area of Lacombe was just part of a huge territory that stretched across the Canadian prairies and into the northern United States. The bison were an important part of the lives of the Blackfoot, and they would follow the bison through the region for centuries. Unfortunately, the bison herds began to decline in the 19th century, and eventually the indigenous would be forced to sign treaties and move to reserves to keep from starving. Today, Lacombe sits on Treaty 6 land. In 1880, the first land surveys were conducted in Lacombe, and within three years, Ed Barnett arrived. Barnett was a former member of the Northwest Mounted Police who had met with Chief Sitting Bull at one point. He would become the first settler in the Lacombe area, and he would create a stopping house on land given to him for his service with the police. This stopping house sat along the Calgary-Edmonton Trail, which would prove to be very fortunate for Barnett and Lacombe. Soon after he arrived, his family and friends came out from Ontario to take up land as well. Before long, his stopping house had gained the name of Barnett Siding. Eight years after Barnett arrived, the Canadian Pacific Railway came through connecting Calgary to Strathcona, just south of Edmonton. With the railroad coming through, the community quickly began to grow. By 1893, downtown blocks and lots for homes were surveyed. Three years later, Lacombe was a village, and in 1902, it became a town. As for the name, where does that come from? The name comes from Father Albert Lacombe. Father Lacombe was a French-Canadian Roman Catholic missionary who would live with the Cree and the Blackfoot. Not only did he help bring peace between the two indigenous nations, but he would also negotiate the construction of the Canadian Pacific Railway through Blackfoot territory, and he kept Chief Crowfoot of the Blackfoot out of the Northwest Resistance in 1885. When it came time to name the community, the decision was made to honour Father Lacombe, who was still alive at the time, by naming the community for him. Lacombe would live until December 12, 1916, long enough to see the community that had his name become a prosperous location. As for the community, it was in a very good spot. Lacombe would eventually be recognized for being one of the best mixed farming communities in Canada. The Edmonton Journal would write in 1928, quote, The statement that there is no better soil is no exaggeration. 
the soil in central Alberta is suitable for any type of diversified farming, end quote. It was this excellent farming location that led the Lacombe Board of Trade to create the Agricultural Experimental Station outside the community in 1907, through the provincial government. Lacombe was one of the first locations in the province to have an experimental station. The first superintendent of the station would be G.H. Hutton, who would serve until 1919. At the time, the station had over 40 acres of seeded plots, testing existing varieties of cereals, field peas, red clover, alfalfa, and various root crops. In later years, the station would experiment with replication, crop rotations, and bee breeding. The station exists to this day, employing dozens of people who manage hundreds of hectares of land. While many communities are policed by the Royal Canadian Mounted Police today, Lacombe is unique in that it has its own police force. And this is actually quite unusual for a community of its size, but the Lacombe Police Service has played an important role in Lacombe's history. Founded in 1900, it is one of the oldest municipal police departments in Alberta and the police force continues to exist to this day in the community. In 1900, a young man was born in Lacombe named Roland Missioner to Senator Edward Missioner and his wife Mary. He would grow up in the community and go on to attend the University of Alberta and then Oxford, where he played on a hockey team with his lifelong friend, Lester B. Pearson. After returning to Canada, he would practice law in Toronto. Missioner would attempt to enter both Ontario provincial and Canadian federal politics, but he was never elected. In 1964, Pearson, now the Prime Minister of Canada, made Missioner the High Commissioner to India. Six months later, he became Canada's first ambassador to Nepal. On March 29, 1967, Missioner was appointed on the advice of his friend Pearson to be the Governor-General of Canada. As Governor-General, he would open Expo 67, help celebrate the 100th anniversary of Confederation, and meet with dignitaries as they came to Canada. During his time as Governor-General, he would also deal with the October Crisis in 1970 when the FLQ kidnapped government officials and there was a plan to kidnap Missioner and have him bound to a chair on television after they took over a CBC station. Thankfully, that never happened. Missioner was one of the first recipients of the Order of Canada. Once again, here we are in the new year, and leap year at that. For the young, who can scarcely wait to grow up, it may not matter that another year has slipped by. But for those in the prime of their accomplishment, time is everything. So much to do and so little time to do it. As for me, I want only a few minutes in which to remind you of some events of the last year and to take a brief look ahead. In many ways, 1971 was a good year. Although, judging by the press reports, it was certainly not the millennium. Every day from some part of the world, there were reports of strife and suffering and precious little of what was good news. It may sometimes have seemed, uh, if I may misquote Mark Anthony, that the evil that men do is news and the good is often interred with their bones. Fortunately in Canada, much favored among the nations, more people than ever were able to, to go about their daily lives in relative comfort and security with the freedom and the right, if not always as much opportunity as they might like, to better both themselves and those they cared for. At least that was my observation. As we traveled this year again, my wife and I, in almost every province. 1971 also marked the centennial of our sixth province, British Columbia, whose accession to the Dominion made our country truly continental in scope. To celebrate this union, which has meant uh, so much to all Canadians, 
The Queen traveled um, widely in our Pacific province in splendid May weather and was given a right royal welcome. Later, my wife and I made additional visits to British Columbia to join in special centennial events and ceremonies, the last being to present the Grey Cup to the Stampeders, as it turned out. In all this, we could feel the pride of British Columbians in the beauty and the sturdy independence of their province and their own confidence in its future within Canada. On January 14, 1974, his time as Governor General came to an end, and he would pass away on August 6, 1991. On a side note, I'm just finishing up Season 3 of From John to Justin, where I looked at every single opposition leader who never became Prime Minister. And right afterwards, I'm beginning Season 4, which is going to look at every Governor's General in Canadian history, including Mr. Missioner. I'd like to take a break away from the episode for a second to talk about ExploreNet. I spent most of my life living in rural areas in Canada, and I remember the days of dial-up internet and spotty high-speed service. For the past three years, I have been a customer of ExploreNet, and I can honestly say that it is the best rural internet I have ever had. My job as a podcaster means I spend a lot of time researching online, interviewing people over Zoom, and uploading content. Through it all, ExploreNet has provided me with excellent service. When I'm not working, I enjoy streaming content on several streaming platforms and even doing some online gaming with a friend in Ontario. ExploreNet allows me to do all of that with ease. Right now, they offer up to 50 megabits per second on their new LTE network with unlimited data. Their service has only become faster and better since I first signed on. Today and beyond, ExploreNet is investing in building and upgrading the network at a rapid pace. ExploreNet is rural, and that is their route, and that is their focus. For more information about rural internet options in your area, go to ExploreNet.com or call 1-866-285-2253. In 1902, work began on a building in Lacombe that was modeled after the iconic Fuller Building in New York. This building, called the Flat Iron Building, was constructed over the course of two years until it opened in 1904, as the home of the Merchants Bank. Today, it is one of the only two remaining buildings of its type in all of Alberta, and it is the oldest building of its type in Western Canada. The Bank of Montreal would operate out of the building after taking it over in 1922 until 1967. Today, the building is one of the most prominent buildings in Lacombe and a landmark of central Alberta. In 1990, it was made a provincial historic resource. In 1908, construction began on a new church to accommodate the growing number of residents in Lacombe. St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church, which would replace a first church built in 1895, would open on January 31, 1909, and it was one of the largest buildings in the community at the time. The building would cost $12,315 to build, which was no small amount at the time. Built with red brick, the building has only been slightly altered since its original construction. In 1922, the Methodist and Presbyterian congregations would unite, and the church became the St. Andrew's United Church. The church continues to stand to this day, and in 2014 was made a Municipal Heritage Resource. In 1921, Lacombe would make history when it elected the first woman to the Alberta legislature, Irene Parlby. Born in London, England in 1868, Parlby came to Canada in 1896, and by 1913 she would found the first woman's local of the United Farmers of Alberta. Her work with the organization helped to raise her profile across the province. Upon joining the legislature in the Lacombe riding, she would remain in MLA for the next 14 years, 
and during that time she was appointed as a minister without a portfolio, making her the first woman cabinet minister in Alberta history, and possibly the British Empire. Her most famous role in women's rights would come as a member of the Famous Five, who took the issue of women being qualified persons to the highest court in the country. The group would win the case and help change women's rights forever. Soon after its judgment, the first woman, Corrine Wilson, would sit on the Canadian Senate. Throughout her life, Parlby was an advocate for rural Canadian women and children, and she pushed for public health care services in municipal hospitals. She would pass away on July 12, 1965 in Red Deer, the last of the Famous Five. In 2009, Parlby and other members of the Famous Five were named Canada's first honorary senators, and a mural of Parlby also exists in Edmonton. In 1966, Parlby was recognized as a person of national historic significance by the Government of Canada. By the 1930s, while many communities were having a difficult time making ends meet, Lacombe became the only Canadian town to pay cash for a modern sewer system. The Edmonton Journal would write, quote, Payment for the sewer system was made possible by the sale of the town's electric light plant to the Calgary Power Company some months ago, end quote. Also in 1930, a rather unfortunate incident would occur in Lacombe. It was on May 21st when Fred Doberstein was kidnapped by several men who accused him of sleeping with several women in town. Seven masked men, who stated they were members of the Ku Klux Klan, took Doberstein 15 kilometers outside of town where they poured tar over him and covered him in feathers. The Edmonton Journal would write, quote, This is the first affair of this kind in this district and possibly Alberta. End quote. Doberstein would say, quote, They threatened to throw me in the lake and then string me up. I was frightened and I had no idea why they were treating me so. I struggled as much as I could, but they were enough of them to hold me pretty still. End quote. Once he promised he would take a train south and never come back, they let him go and he began to wander back into town. Several men would be arrested for the incident. A few of the men were local farmers who had joined up with the Red Deer chapter of the Ku Klux Klan. In 2019, Lacombe would put itself on the map with the world's largest fishing lure. The lure, which sits at Len Thompson Pond, is painted in the favorite pattern of Len Thompson. Thompson was the owner of Thompson Pallister Bait Company, which operated for almost 100 years. It was started by Thompson in 1929 when he lived in Saskatchewan, but it has been located in Lacombe for over 60 years. The lure is 40 feet long, far longer than the previous record holder, which was only 15 feet long. I visited this lure in the summer, and it was quite massive, and it's a great photo opportunity. A Lacombe landmark has earned a place in the Guinness Book of World Records, a unique monument that also serves as a tribute to a long-standing business, CTV's Nav Sangat reports. Everything is not bigger in Texas. <laughs> this is officially the world's largest lure, certified by Guinness as a world record at more than 40 feet long nearly 25 feet longer than the previous record holder in Texas. What did you think when you first saw it? Did you think it was big? Amazingly big. <laughs> the lure was erected last May and it was no easy task. It took a good six to eight months to kind of get it rolling and get it up and, up and running. And a lot of help. A joint effort between the Lacombe Game and Fish Association, the city of Lacombe, the Echo Lacombe Grant Fund, and Comet Welding. Oh, when it was installed, relief was the biggest feeling because, uh, and excitement, I guess, but mostly relief. The lure marks the 90th anniversary of the company's founding by its namesake, Len Thompson, Brad Pallister's great-grandfather. But it wouldn't be here if he hadn't started the whole thing and if he hadn't been competitive and wanted to build something better. But a project this big and flashy wasn't Len Thompson's style. He is a humble guy and, and uh, was not 
so much the limelight kind of a guy, so he might have been a little little humbled by it, I think. Pallister hopes the record and the lure will stand for many years, just like his great-grandfather's company. Hopefully, hopefully it, it, it's the world record for a long time. We built it so that hopefully it would stay the world record for a very long time. Nab Sanga, CTV News, Red Deer. If you would like to learn more about Lacombe, then check out the Lacombe Museum. The Lacombe District Historical Society was formed as the Maskey Patoon Historical Society on May 5, 1971, as a way to purchase the birthplace of Roland Missioner. The site was purchased in 1972, and over the course of the next 13 years, restoration work was done. The Missioner House, as it is now known, was built in 1894 and would be expanded on several times between 1918 and 1940. Originally an early church building in the community, it is the oldest remaining structure in the community today. It was this building where Missioner would be born in 1900, where his father, Edward, was a reverend at the church. The heritage site would expand over the years to include a learning garden that looked at 4,000 years of central Alberta history and development. In 1991, the society would purchase and restore the Lacombe Blacksmith Shop, which to this day is the oldest operational blacksmith shop in the entire province. The blacksmith shop had been built by A.F. Weddell between 1902 and 1903 at a cost of $1,325. The building would go through several owners, and in 1939, it would be a welding shop, which would remain so until 1991, when the society bought the building. The blacksmith shop sits on its original plot of land to this day. Within the shop, the original fixtures and artifacts from the blacksmith shop are now on display, along with machinery and much more. Within the museum itself, you will find hundreds of items from the history of the community detailing everything from the early history of the indigenous, to settlement, to the rapidly changing community of the 20th century. I hope you enjoyed that look at Lacombe, Alberta, and if you did, please leave a rating and review. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter, my handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. As well, again, if you want to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash canadaehx. And you can donate to the podcast by going to canadaehx.com and clicking donate. I'd also like to thank all of my wonderful patrons, and I apologize if I get any names incorrect. Michael Matthews, Joanna Parker, Jeff Dahl, Vobs, Robert Page, Richard D., Colin Johnson, Jeff Hershey, Kyle Murray, Steve Pakin, Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, an anonymous patron that I truly do appreciate, Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Shove, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Roy, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Thanks. We'll see you again next time.